the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. Playboy. It brings you the best of everything. Behind the pages of Playboy, you'll find the authors who create the best sellers, interviewers who reveal the person behind the personality. Then there's Playboy's photographers, masters at capturing the beauty of the world's most breathtaking women. Get a full year subscription to Playboy for only $19. You'll get the rabbit head key ring free with your paid subscription. So phone 1-800-445-8000. Every day, there's millions of dollars spent trying to take our rights away from us. And I feel that it's wrong. My husband and I have been married uh, going on two and a half years. And we're real happy we got three kids. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter. And you guys, today's episode is one that we have been waiting for, the two of us, I think, to get in the books with our very, very special guest. And we're so excited that it's uh, finally came together. We are so excited. And can I tell you, we had the absolute best time recording with this very special guest. We can say her name. I mean, it's going to be in the title. I mean, it's in the <laughs> title. You take it away. Drum roll, please. Holly Madison will be our first degree guest for the show. We had an amazing time with her. She came into studio. And if you are on our Patreon, you can see all of... I think we're putting the full video interview yes. that we had with her as well as... I mean, I'll give you like a little sneak peek. She's going to be our guest on Killing Time 2. And that whole video will also be on Patreon. So lots yes. of fun video content. So fun. We had the best time with her and she's just the best. She is the best. And Alexis was like really pushing. She's like, we're friends now, right? Right. I was like, no, Holly, really though, we're going to hang out now, right? I mean, we have so much in common. It's like, do we? Do but we? I'll, I'll make it so. That's right. She said <laughs> that she would do some paranormal shit with us, which I'm really excited about. That excites me too. No, I just, to be honest, I just really love what Holly's doing right now as she looks yeah. back on her experiences and how she's processing it. She's helping a lot of people. I just really respect and, and like her a lot. And I think what we'll learn, especially in today's episode, is um, sometimes when you're speaking out about a massive, massive organization and all of the wrongdoings that have happened, it's kind of fucking hard. Yeah. And you're putting yourself at great risk. So those who do it, it earns all that much more respect. Exactly. It takes a lot of courage. So we're going to get into the story in a second. I got to tell you what day it is first. I'm ready. Today is January 25th, Wednesday, obviously. It is a room of one's own day. I don't know what that means, but it sounds like maybe take a day for yourself alone. Okay. I did that today. That's Yeah, I actually did too. (laughs) Felt great. Not on purpose, but I did not see another person today. It's also library shelfie day. So take a little picture of the books that are on uh, your library wall or your personal, you know collection totally and honestly that's it it's national irish coffee day that's the best one there is so far for the day get a little booze into your day all right well that is enough of that we're gonna get into today's today's episode so let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you
Playboy is, without question, a cultural touchstone, an internationally recognized brand, and a household name. The brand is ubiquitous, represents visions of the Playboy Mansion, iconic bunny suits, and stunning blondes and beyond. And whether you were a fan of E's hit reality show, Girls Next Door, or whether your brother had a stack of Playboys under his mattress, you've been exposed to Playboy. And here's a fun fact. According to the internet, Playboy was founded in Chicago in 1953 by Hugh Hefner and funded in part by a $1,000 loan from his mother. That's ironic, isn't it? Behind every great man, am I right? <laughs> or every moderate to severe man, also a great woman behind them too. We maybe won't call them great. So for most of the last century, young hopefuls all over the country grew up fantasizing about living the glamorous life of a Playboy bunny. Visions of lying by the pool at the Playboy Mansion, soaking in the infamous grotto, getting hair and makeup done for pictorials, and getting decked out for Hugh Hefner's notorious parties. And since she was a girl, Stacey Arthur knew exactly what she wanted to do when she grew up. She wanted to be in Playboy. And even though she was just a small town girl from Ohio, she was committed to making it happen. I'm sure Stacey's ambitions resonate with a lot of people that are listening right now. Absolutely. And someone who shared Stacey's dreams from a very young age and knows a thing or two about the dichotomy of Playboy is the one and only Holly Madison. We already introduced you to her at the top of the show. You already know she's here. But let's talk a little more about Holly, shall we? So she's the powerhouse who many of us fell in love with as Hugh Hefner's number one girlfriend on E's hit series. And from there, Holly went on to have her own spinoff reality series, Holly's World. She would go on to write two books detailing her experiences. Her first book, Down the Rabbit Hole, outlined the emotional abuse, manipulation, and coercion she experienced during the seven years she lived at the Playboy Mansion. And given all the indulgences that the Playboy brand represents, sex, money, women, and power, it's probably no surprise that there have been many crimes connected to the institution. And it's Holly's unique insight that makes her the perfect force to helm Discovery ID's new show, The Playboy Murders. The Playboy Murders gives first-person insight far beyond the glamour of the magazine into the dark side of the iconic bunny ears. Her show premieres January 23rd and will air Mondays at 10 on ID and stream on Discovery+. Plus. And Holly's years-long complete immersion into the world of Playboy makes this TV show perfect for her, and it also makes her the perfect first degree for today's case. Right. And we already told you that we sat down with Holly to talk about this case today, but it's really what struck me is the shared experiences and how, while yes, there was a ton different between the case we're discussing today and Holly's experience because they were more than a decade apart, but a lot was the same too. And you'll notice those themes throughout the episode. Well, I was familiar with Stacy just as a playmate because I, you know, lived at the mansion for seven years and I worked at the Playboy studio as the playmate editor for two years. So I knew what the cent- all the centerfolds looked like. I knew about her January cover where she had like the New Year's sash on. In late 1990, Stacy Arthur got her big break into Playboy and it seemed as though all of her dreams were becoming a reality. She was seen as Playboy's new golden child. And being welcomed into this elusive world seemed to be every bit as spectacular as she hoped. But eventually, things took a dark turn. Stacy thought that Playboy would help her get everything she ever wanted. But it took everything that mattered to her instead. Today's case brings us back to Tuesday, October 29th of 1991. Halloween was just a few days away, and people were watching horror movies and thinking about which costume they were going to wear. 
People like Hugh Hefner and the event planners at the Playboy Mansion were probably setting up for some big party or another. The song Emotions by Mariah Carey was number one on the Billboard charts for the third week in a row. Movies House Party 2 and Other People's Money were in theaters, and Ty Collins graced the cover of Playboy's October 1991 issue. And the setting for today's case spans across several geographical regions, from the opulent homes of the Hollywood Hills all the way to small towns like Bellefontaine, Ohio, and Naperville, Illinois, which is where Stacey Lee Darland was born in June of 1968. The Darlin family would go on to move seven times before she turned 14, so she had a nomadic childhood, to say the least. And Stacy was lively, she was gregarious, and she loved to sing and perform. She loved art. And while she could have big dreams to do anything, she knew exactly what she wanted to do by the time she turned 13. Stacy wanted to be a Playboy playmate. Oh, and she also wanted to be a famous country singer. And Stacy would later share in an interview that her first boyfriend even predicted that she'd be in the magazine one day. But she never imagined how it could actually happen, because how? There weren't many modeling opportunities in small towns where Stacy was raised. But she made the best of her situation, trying to land the small jobs that would pop up here and there. And being as resourceful as she was, Stacy decided to explore the world of beauty pageants to try to get her foot in the door in the modeling world. After all, Stacy was stunning, and she had an incredible voice, which would really give her this kind of edge in the talent portions of the competition. And Stacy was a natural pageant queen and started winning one competition after the next, after the next. And with every win, she ascended upwards, entering in bigger pageants with bigger prize money. And while pageants took up a lot of Stacy's time, she still made the time to date and have a personal life. You know, she's trying to have that work-life balance. Aren't we all? I know. And she'd gotten married to her first husband, James M. Trevorrow, when she was still a teenager, and they had one child together before the relationship hit the rocks. It was during that rough patch that Stacy started dating somebody new, a man 13 years her senior, James Jim Arthur. And he had been married before and had two kids that he was kind of bringing into the new relationship. Stacy filed for divorce from her first husband and became engaged to Jim on the day the divorce was finalized. It was just after her 20th birthday, so she's lived a lot of life for someone so young. And people describe Stacy and Jim as being crazy in love. And one of the things Stacy loved about him was how supportive he was of her career. Jim loved Playboy, and he used to joke around and say that one of his dreams was to be married to a centerfold. Jim offered to act as Stacy's manager and do everything in his power to help her succeed. Stacy, Jim, and their blended family were living in a house in Sydney, Ohio, which is about 30 miles north of Dayton. And they opened and operated a ceramics business in town called Stacy's Place, where Stacy taught ceramics classes. So she was artistic and she was really oh, into all that stuff. How fun. Jim also owned a lot of rental properties. So that's sort of what he was doing with his time. And in his other free time, he was basically Stacy's professional number one fan. From what I understand, her husband, by all accounts, was really supportive of her career, really wanted her to be Playmate of the Year. A guy who wanted Stacy to be a Playmate as much as she wanted to, it literally sounds like a perfect match and like a power couple, really. So Stacy focused on pageants and entered one after the next, and she was killing it. In the foyer of the couple's house, she had 32 freaking trophies on display, as well as a crown and a scepter. Stacy kept competing and she kept winning, breezing through the Miss Sunburst contests, a series of privately owned pageants where Stacy was crowned first runner-up with honors in the talent and beauty categories. Then Stacy set her sights on the Miss Ohio State competition. She entered in 1990 as the youngest contestant the pageant had ever admitted at 21 years old. 
right, and Stacy blew the competition away. And when it was time to name the winner, her jaw hit the floor when she realized that she'd won. She dominated over 28 other competitors. And she was crowned Miss Ohio and catapulted to local stardom. Remember, this is Ohio. And her hometown of Sydney, Ohio, even declared an official Stacy Arthur Day to honor their most famous resident. I mean, this is what dreams are made of. Oh, your yeah. own day in your own town. Oh, I mean, so it probably cool. felt amazing. She was working really hard. So you know what winning the title of Miss Ohio means? That Stacy would be competing for her state in the Miss America pageant. And if she were to win that title, obviously we all know those opportunities are endless. And even with just Stacy's Miss Ohio win, she immediately started getting auditions and meetings about modeling jobs across the country. And one such job required travel to Chicago, Illinois. And Jim decided to go with his wife and they were going to make a little trip out of it. And when they got there, she had a brilliant idea. Stacy was going to call Chicago's Playboy headquarters and try to get them to do a test shoot with her. And this was a bold thing to do because Stacy had submitted photos to Playboy twice before, only to get rejection letters. But she was tenacious and she wasn't giving up. Surely Stacy's thinking was probably something like, okay, with my new Miss Ohio title, it maybe will give me some cachet or a little edge, you know, help me stand out. And it was a long shot, but it obviously could not hurt to just give it a try. Stacey's approach was bold and persistent, and it fucking paid off because Playboy agreed to set her up with a photographer for a test shoot. And when Stacy arrived, she was told that she would shoot with the photographer for about 10 minutes tops. But the photographer ended up loving her so much that he shot with her for over an hour. And just like that, in a snap, Playboy flew Stacy and Jim out to Los Angeles four days later to meet Hugh Hefner and the creative team. Like, what a fucking dream for them right now. And it's like, the odds are so slim, and but she's doing it. And it literally just happened in like a blink of an eye. So Stacy was an absolute hit with Hugh and went on to sign a contract with Playboy immediately. And then there was more. It had been decided that Stacey Arthur would be the January 1991 Playmate of the Month. She was going to be on the cover of Playboy magazine. That is crazy. And that wasn't all. She was also going to be the magazine's centerfold. And this was a really big deal and highly unusual, happening only three other times in the magazine's history. So put yourself in her position. Anyone can imagine how surreal it might feel the moment you realize your dreams are actually coming true. Stacey was on cloud nine. But there was one little problem. Well, a big problem. The Miss America competition. How would this traditional institution react to one of their contestants posing naked prior to the pageant? Well, first of all, Stacy wasn't the first pageant queen to pose for Playboy. There had been at least one or two before her. But they weren't received great either, right? This was going to be hard. This was going to be especially hard because the timing of this wasn't great because Stacy's January cover issue would hit the stands at the exact same time the Miss America pageant was taking place. She was Mrs. Ohio. So there's always a little bit of controversy. You know, the pageant world doesn't want their winners posing nudes. So there's always a little bit of controversy. But Playboy loved getting the pageant winners because that was something a little different for them, a little more wholesome. And, you know, they wanted that title. And Stacy was breaking the mold in more ways than one, because Stacy was also a 23-year-old mother and a wife. And for Playmates, that was not the norm. 
Hef preferred the playmates to not be married and not have kids. He wanted like the single young woman. So it was rare to have a married playmate. And I think with Stacy, it was somebody they made an exception for because she was so beautiful and she did have that Mrs. Ohio title. And of course, to be like Mrs. in the pageant world, you have to be married. That's right. Playboy leaned into this wholesome pageant queen narrative and leveraged it for Stacy's cover issue. But Stacy definitely felt backlash too. That year's Miss America contest was being held in Russia, and Stacy later revealed in interviews that many of the other contestants refused to speak to her while she was there. She was basically shunned like she was wearing a scarlet letter. First of all, that's childish. It's insane. Second of all, grow the fuck up. Like all of you. And I know that's saying the same thing, but can you imagine being mean to someone because of that? That's wild. No. I mean, we're all adults. It's it's insane. So there was obviously a lot of pearl clutching going on for freaking sure. But Stacy, she wasn't rattled about anything. She was outspoken about free speech rights and embraces the criticism that she received. Right. And we actually found a Playmate profile that was done on Stacy. It's pretty long, but we wanted to pull out a snippet of the best part, the part that really demonstrates the way she felt, her tenacity, and her spirit. Playmate Profile, Stacey Arthur. Cincinnati, Ohio, a Bible belt unto itself. For years, censors have clamped a lid on anything that has not appealed to their own sense of morality. While the events in Cincinnati unfolded, elsewhere in the state, a young outspoken mother was about to become Mrs. Ohio, and soon after, Playboy's Miss January 1991. Stacy Arthur was ready for the self-proclaimed moralists. The stereotype that because you're um, in a Miss America pageant or a Mrs. America pageant that you can't be sexual. I think that it's wrong, and I'm ready to stand and fight for it, and I'm looking very forward to the controversy. And playmate Stacey Arthur remains outspoken. Every day, there's millions of dollars spent trying to take our rights away from us, and I feel that it's wrong. There's thousands of people out there that are homeless that don't have any place to go, and there's nobody helping them, and that's where that money should be spent, not trying to take our rights away. Miss January 1991, fighting for free expression while gracing the pages of Playboy. Stacy welcomed the controversy, and while she ultimately was not crowned Miss America, her outspokenness and belief in herself was inspiring to pretty much everybody. Plus, she did place in the top 10 at Miss America, which is a huge accomplishment in itself. Stacy shared in an interview that the first time that she ever saw her January Playboy cover was at the airport, but she stopped herself from looking through it because she and her husband Jim had promised to look through Stacy's issue together for the first time, which is so cute and I love that so much. And we are looking at Stacy's cover right now. Lex, do you want to describe it a little bit? Yes, because it is so delightfully vintagey looking. So I love it. She's an absolute vision. Like truly, I didn't do a ton of deep diving until I started writing this and she's gorgeous and she's holding up a sash that's kind of covering, it's covering her nipples, right? Because you can see that she is boobs or whatever. And she's wearing these white underwear that have like, it looks like angel's wings on them. They are going wholesome with this and they're calling it the holiday anniversary issue. Miss Ohio 
in Miss January. So they they did lean into the pageant queen of it. And it does, they did lean into the wholesomeness of it. Yeah. And she is just absolutely freaking stunning. I don't know how much retouching they were doing back in the day, but her face is like literally perfect. She has this like blonde, voluminous hair, kind of curly flowing off to the side and just like a beautiful smile, bright blue eyes. I mean, she's gorgeous. I'm interested to see what some of these other commentaries are. How to toss a great New Year's... No, how to toss. Yeah, how to toss a great <laughs> New Year's Eve bash. Sizzling Playmate review. Playboy picks of the car of the year. The history of jazz and rock is a weird one. Danger in the dating zone. Has your lover hired a private eye? What a time. I love that. I know. I need to know. I need to know everything. Everything. So... A profile of Stacey appeared along with her pictorial in the magazine, and she shared some intimate details that helped paint an even better picture of who she was. So she listed her ambitions as becoming a successful country singer, like we said in the top of the episode. And under turn-on, she said that she likes well-built men who are sensitive. Join the club. I know, same, ideal. Totally. And she's turned off by rude and conceited people, overbearing people, stress, and her own impatience girl. You're self-aware. Her favorite performers at the time were Sigourney Weaver, Sylvester Stallone, Reba McIntyre, and Arsenio Hall. Her favorite foods, and this is one of my favorite things about her, shrimp, lobster, and pizza grinders. I don't even know what a pizza grinder is. I think it's like a calzone or something. We're going to get a million messages about this. (laughs) Go ahead. I don't know what it is, and neither does Jack. It's a pizza anything. It's got to be good. Yeah, it's going to be delicious. And when asked what her New Year's resolution was, she said to be a more positive, confident person. And after my experience with Playboy, that should be easy. So Stacy seemed unstoppable and she had her supportive husband by her side and she was hailed as Playboy's rising star. What could possibly go wrong? Stacy's partnership with Playboy seemed like a match made in heaven. She was a great brand ambassador and she wanted to get as involved as she could because now she had a new goal in her sights. Stacy was going for Playmate of the Year and she was really willing to do anything to make that happen. She signed up to do appearances, to sign autographs, to participate in Playboy videos and activities and beyond. She was basically doing it all. And she even volunteered to work the phone lines for Playboy's 900 hotline number. And when we found this out, neither of us had any idea that Playboy had a 900 number. No. Why would they? It seems like a bizarro thing. So we asked Holly about that because it didn't seem to fit our vision of Playboy. I was really surprised to even learn that they had Playmates talking on a 1-900 number. It didn't seem on brand to me. I knew in the 90s that there was a 1-900 number people could call to vote for Playmate of the Year. Like you would press a button that corresponded with whatever month you were voting for. And that's kind of how they would get the feedback on who the readers liked and who was popular with the readers. But I had no idea that they ever had Playmates talking on a 1-900 number, you know, from their own homes. That was surprising to me. Yeah, it's really surprising, and here's how it worked. So fans could call the Playboy hotline and pay $3 a minute to speak with their favorite Playmates. The calls were monitored at all times, which meant that if any of the calls became abusive or inappropriate or whatever, they would be automatically disconnected. And all the callers received the rules up front, so it's like, don't fuck it up. And this kind of seemed like a no-brainer for Stacy because this meant that she could fulfill some of the Playmate duties from her house in Ohio, like work-from-home vibes, we're super down for that. And Stacy would fly across the country for Playboy obligations, but she was always eager to get back to her family in Ohio. So in front of us, we actually have 
the ad featuring Stacey Arthur that was running in the Playboy magazines and probably other magazines too. Yeah. And Jack, why don't you read it? Okay. So it says, call the Playboy hotline, 1-900-blah-blah-blah-blah. Let us entertain you. Playmates on the air, sensational Stacey Arthur, Miss January, and other surprise playmates share their secrets and reveal themselves to you. Leave your favorite playmate a personal message. And then there's another message and it says, Playmates Online Live. Have you had a private talk with a playmate yet? Each month, hundreds of lucky callers do. Call today and find out how. And then there's a picture of Stacy on there. It almost looks like one of those like glamour shots that you do at the mall, but it's like, you know, a sexier picture. And it says, call Stacy Arthur, Miss January. Terrific new experiences every day. Like what an ad. What are they selling? You know, no. That's what's so confusing about it. It's like a conversation. It's very vague. We're going to post this ad for sure on Instagram, but it was such an odd choice for Playboy. But like at this time, Stacy didn't care. And she was just excited to prove herself at Playboy. She didn't, she would do whatever. She wanted to be the most enthusiastic playmate down for whatever. You know how everyone wants to be like the cool chick in the beginning of a relationship. That's like this because the enormous pressure and what you had to do to become playmate of the year, right? And she thought working this 900 number was a way to demonstrate her commitment. According to Holly, things like enthusiasm, loyalty, and participation really did count when it came to who was chosen for this honor. I think she was a really hard worker, really ambitious. I think she and her husband had a plan. They wanted her to be Playmate of the Year. And for Playmate of the Year, it wasn't just the reader's poll that counted. Ultimately, it was Hef's choice. And I think it was made pretty clear to all the Playmates that when they were hired to work for Playmate promotions, because sometimes they would hire these women to like work at parties and things like that. It was made pretty clear that if you were the most enthusiastic and showing up on time and doing the work, then you would get the endorsement of Playmate Promotions. Let's count it a lot toward getting Playmate of the Year. So I can see if you know you were tasked with doing the 1-900 number, you'd want to be the hardest worker and you'd want to be putting in the most hours and you would want them to know that you were the most requested and that you had repeat customers because that was going to help you get Playmate of the Year. We always felt like we had to do the most or we might get kicked out or we'd be compared to somebody else. And that was used against me too. Like if I just didn't want to go out and I was more of a homebody, you know, Hef would use that against me for the other girls to try and make the other girls feel guilty for requesting other things. Stacy dove in head first and did everything that Playboy expected of her. And something you need to know about 900 numbers, the way you make money is by keeping people on the phone. You're supposed to be engaging. You're supposed to be charming. Anything to keep them on the phone, racking up more minutes and more money. And it just so happens that Stacy was likable and she did really well with this. This woman was basically good at everything. But here's the thing. Something bad was going to happen and something bad was going to come from this 900 number. Someone was going to get killed. And Stacy would never see this coming. So brace yourselves because we have to go back. 1991 was Stacy's year. She was January's Playmate of the Month. She was the centerfold and she had a lucrative contract with Playboy. She was flying to LA frequently to spend time at the mansion and participate in high-end pictorials. And on top of that, Stacy had three kids, a husband, and she just adored her entire life. She even had her own ceramic studio where she taught art in her free time. And honestly, like that's the coolest part of her life to me. I want my own ceramic studio. Right? Like this made me think of you because you're so into uh, all of that. 
I want to spin on the wheel. So Stacy, honestly, from the outside, it looks like she truly seemed to have it all. But she was still on top of her game and she was focused on her target, being selected as Playmate of the Year. And in the time that Stacy found herself home in Ohio, she continued to work that 900 hotline. And given Stacy's newfound popularity, it's no surprise that many men were really, really eager to speak with her. One caller who became a regular on Stacy's line was a 32-year-old man named James Lindbergh. And he was a truck driver from Woodland, California, which is up near Sacramento. Right. And the conversations between the two of them started with small talk. But Stacy, I'm sure, knew what her objective was. Keep these guys on the phone. And that's exactly what she did. And eventually, you run out of shit to talk about with a perfect stranger. So the more Lindbergh called, the more Stacy shared about herself, about whatever. And I think this just happens. You find yourself opening up a little bit. I mean, it was her job to keep people on the phone and generate income. That's how it worked. And that's exactly what she did. So Stacy talked to him about her life, her husband. And heck, she even told him about her first marriage. And Lindbergh was calling the line frequently, racking up a huge bill amounting to almost 3K talking to Stacy. But to Stacy, this was obviously just a job, just a thing that she could do to elevate her chances as Playmate of the Year. So when Lindbergh started to cross some lines, she kind of ignored it because she didn't want it to get back to Playboy and she didn't want them to think that she was complaining. She didn't want any strikes against her as she's working towards her goal. And in one particular instance, Lindbergh asked Stacy to go to lunch with him next time that she was in L.A., Stacy tried to reject the idea politely, but James got really mad. Oh, no shit. A man gets mad because a woman rejects her. Yo, hurt feelings. <laughs> oh, God. So Stacy figured that this was part of the territory of kind of working that 900 number. And being a playmate, like, right? Yeah. You're on newsstands naked across the country. Yeah. And think about the number of people capable of getting unhealthily fixated on you. It's just like you become sort of a target. I don't think people appreciate what comes along with that, you know? Right. And Stacy wanted just to be in this world of Playboy so badly that she was kind of willing to put up with all this bullshit, frankly. I can imagine perhaps the Playmates were complaining because trying to carry on a longer than 10-minute conversation with a fan who might be trying to get sexual or, you know, might be asking inappropriate things and you're just trying to represent yourself and the company in the best way possible, it might be really challenging. And you also might want some kind of rule, you know, to be the bad cop because nobody wants to be that person that's like, um, I got to get off the phone now and you don't want to make the customer unhappy. So Holly's right. The very nature of this 900 number seems inherently anti-Playboy and also puts Playmates in a precarious position. They want to provide good customer service to represent themselves and the company well. They don't want to get like a complaint. What if it's a powerful person calling? Yeah. You know, it's the competition is so fierce. You have to, you feel like you have given up your whole life for this dream. You're so close. You better do everything right. And anything you could do could mess it up. But at the same time, Stacy and the other playmates participating, they don't want to be abused by these callers. So it's a very strange line to have to straddle. I can't imagine what it would be like talking to like a horny fan who thinks, because in the 90s, a 1-900 number usually meant a sex line. So even if Playboy's trying to say it's more innocent, like, oh, it's just chat with a playmate. I'm sure there were so many people calling with a different idea. But honestly, like, whose idea was this? Because like we were talking about, these very beautiful women are posing, you know, nude 
in this very elegant magazine, but not everybody's gonna, you know, not everybody's safe. (laughs) I know to be on the phone with. I know. Well, usually I feel like if the more like sex lines, I guess back in the day were anonymous, I think with the caller, like, so you're talking to somebody that you don't know what they look like. You don't know who they are. Like could have been anybody. It's like, you're calling to have this anonymous chatter about whatever with somebody that you have no idea who it is. So it's very kind of scary that you're putting a face face. to the voice you're just and now you're making it like that person you know that person now and you have like a personal relationship with that person like retrospectively looking back on it is really fucking dangerous terrible idea so james Lindbergh, her little stalker boy kept calling stacy and he kept asking for lunch dates for the next time that she was in la and stacy told this man that she was married many times in their conversation told him that she had kids and by this point, Stacy thought that she and James had this friendship to some degree, and she didn't think that he was anything more than this sad trucker guy who just wanted to pay to talk to a playmate. Like, that's all that she really thought about him. But here's the thing. Stacy did these Playboy hotline calls from home, and it was 1991, and there were some technical difficulties during some of these calls. And one day, for an unknown reason, the call between Stacy and James was disconnected, and she ended up calling him back from her home line. From what I understand, this one caller who seemed like a harmless person from Stacy's perspective was racking up tons and tons of minutes with her. And I'm not sure how the technology worked or how the mechanism worked, but these playmates were doing these calls from their homes. And there was at some point where she had to like return a call to him or like the call dropped off or she was checking on him or something. And that's how he ended up getting her number was the call came from her house. Right. So slowly, whatever semblance of privacy Stacy had was being chipped away. But the calls between Lindbergh and Stacy did not stop. He kept calling. And soon Lindbergh was leaving messages on the Playboy Hotline Message Center. And here's one in particular that he left for her. Hello, it's James Lindbergh. And uh, I'm from Sacramento. This message is for Stacy Arthur. Stacy Arthur. I want her to, I want her to know that I'm in love with her. And that's not a good thing because she happens to be married at this time. Kind of goofs me up totally. I do love you. I'm in love with you. And uh, it hurts and it hurts. And I'm in love with you. And I really do love you. And I love you a lot. I love you. I just, wow. And there's you. And here I am. And there your husband is. And there he is. Oh, my God. (laughs) So I think we can all see what's going on here. And here's where things get tricky. So this Playboy message center, right? This was not left on Stacy's home line. There was an operator monitoring all of these. Yeah. So Playboy would have been the people to know about this, to know that this kind of thing was happening. And it would have been an opportunity to do something. You'd think interfere and be like, uh, this man is seeming to get a little bit stalkery vibes. So let's maybe not allow him to call anymore. Anything, anything, (laughs) anything really. And I just think it's fascinating. And we see these things, like we see posts like this under celebrities, right? Like from Instagram, but like, this is voicemail. Like it's crazy. We could have even, we and we don't know, but like even with the Brian Koberger thing, it's like he could have been sending those types of messages to one of the victims. You know what I mean? Like this happens all the time with men developing these obsessions for women that they do not have a relationship with. And it's yep. fucking scary. So scary. 
So by this point, Stacy had achieved this kind of relative fame in her career. She had been Miss Ohio, she had been a playmate and a centerfold, and she competed in the Miss America contest. And as a result, Stacy had received unwanted attention in her small town in Ohio. There were threats and there were strange lurking men and beyond. And Jim started to have serious security concerns. They moved their family out of their house and into Jim's parents' house. And in fact, he planned to renovate a floor on one of his tall buildings, thinking he could offer it to Stacy to have kind of more security. So they were really, really vigilant about safety and security for Stacy. But the real threat to the family wasn't in Ohio, at least just not yet. In late October of 1991, James Lindbergh left Northern California and arrived in Ohio. He rented a car and he got a motel room in the Bellefontaine area. Meanwhile, Stacy and her husband, Jim, were none the wiser and were moving through their peaceful, prosperous, and happy lives as usual. So as far as what comes next, the reporting is a little inconsistent, and you'll probably understand why once you know what happens, but we're going to do our best to illustrate how this unfolded based on information available. So at some point while Lindbergh was in town, he made contact with Stacy or her husband. And he expressed that he had a gift for Stacy and he wanted to give it to her, which is just so any stalker Weird. With a gift. It's like ugh. So Stacy didn't meet Lindbergh, but her husband Jim agreed to, and they met at one of Jim's properties. By all accounts, I guess the interaction went pretty well. We don't really know much about it. And it's reported that Lindbergh expressed interest in taking pictures of Stacy sometime. Jim tells him that Stacy would be making an appearance at a Toledo car show in the following weekend. And if he wanted to see her, that's his best bet. Like, you're only going to really see her in this public setting. Then Lindbergh left, and it's unclear what this gift was, like we said. I got to say, husband handled it like a champ. Oh, yeah. And that's probably why. Listen, and this is complete speculation, but like, I bet you Stacy's like, I'm not going, you go. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he went to get it because, like, by this point, he's a regular client. He calls his 900 number. And husband Jim's like, yeah, yeah, she's going to an appearance. If you want to get a picture with her, go, go there. there. Like, you're not, you're not coming up, dude. You're not, <laughs> she's not meeting you. Right. So that's my idea of what happened. I could be wrong, but it seems probable. Right. Yeah. So was Jim mad that he had to go deal with this guy who was obsessed with his wife? Maybe. Did he even know this guy was obsessed with his wife? Maybe, maybe not. According to Stacy. Jim knew about Lindbergh and Lindbergh knew about her husband and everyone was all good vibes and not weird about any of this. We don't know the truth because let's face it, this is some serious boundary crossing that's occurring. But at the end of the day, there was no harm done, right? Had things ended there, there would have been no harm done, but that's not what happened. James Lindbergh went back to Jim's building looking for him the next day, but this time he was there for a different reason. Lindbergh spoke to one of the building's tenants and became agitated when he learned that Jim wasn't there. And as he was about to leave, Jim Arthur pulled up to the front of the building in one of his vans. When he got out of the vehicle, James Lindbergh shot him multiple times. Jim died where he fell and chaos ensued. Lindbergh fled down the street. And the police arrived and a search also ensued, but it wouldn't take long to find Jim's killer. They located him in a parking lot with a single gunshot wound to the head. He was rushed to the hospital and died hours later. And just like that, Stacy's loving, supportive husband, Jim, was gone. A father to three kids was gone. The reality of what had just happened gutted Stacy. Jim was just 36 years old and he was Stacy's protector. 
Whitney was gone. And now Stacy was a 23-year-old widow with three kids. I think one of the trigger points was this person found out that Stacy and her husband were going to LA for some kind of an event. And he tried to get Stacy to agree to have lunch with him when she was out there. And she wanted to be nice, you know, and kind of said, okay, well, maybe I'll touch base with you and see what happens. And then she ended up saying no. And he got very angry when the plans weren't agreed upon. When I was at the mansion, I felt safe just because I was living in that world with the security and everything. But it's interesting to think about the playmates that come and they're shooting their pictorial and they feel that safe too when they're staying at the mansion. But then they have to go back to their normal lives and their normal homes with no protection. And they've just been, you know, in front of this huge audience nude and, you know, people sometimes feel like they have access, unfortunately. Regardless of why James Lindbergh did this, in the blink of an eye, everything had fallen apart, and Stacy had no idea that it was about to get worse. During a press conference, Stacy credited her husband's support for her Playboy achievements, and she referred to Jim as the wind beneath her wings. She expressed fear for the livelihood of her children, and she was just in shock and completely paralyzed. And it's no surprise that the media exploded with interest in this salacious story. Right, just imagine the headlines. A crazed fan murders Playmate's husband after meeting her on Playboy Hotline. Everyone was talking about this, and Playboy's press team released a statement which expressed condolences to Stacey while still distancing themselves from any liability in Jim's murder. And while initially it was reported that Stacey would continue to work the Playboy Hotline, she later clarified that she was adamantly against it. And beyond that, Stacy wanted the Playboy 900 hotline taken down for the safety of other playmates. Stacy starts being very vocal about this, and this is really the first time Stacy and Playboy were not aligned the way that Playboy preferred. And Stacy was expecting support. She thought she was part of the family, and it was a rude awakening to find out that she wasn't. It's scary because when you're there, you're kind of made to feel like, oh, this is the Playboy family. You're part of the family. So to speak out on something and be like, hey, look, somebody has paid the ultimate price. You know, you need to take this 1-900 number down and they don't do it. I can't imagine how jarring that must feel because you, you're you going from a place of feeling like you're part of this family and you're on track to be the next Playmate of the year. And all of a sudden, no, you're you're out of that. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. So I think we all know when we're at our very best, we feel like we can take over the world. We can do great things. But sometimes life can get you bogged down. You cannot feel your best. And you may feel overwhelmed when you're not showing up the way that you want to. And working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you. And when you feel empowered, you'll be prepared to take on everything that life throws at you. I know that I always feel so much better taking on all the tasks that I have to take when I feel like I'm in a good mental space. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash first degree today to get 10% off your first month. That's better help H-E-L-P dot com slash first degree. Betterhelp.com slash first degree to get started. It's almost summer, and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. 
It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. There were a lot of questions in the week following Jim Arthur's murder and James Lindbergh's suicide. Everybody wanted to understand how the hell this happened. Stacy was in shock, and she believed that Lindbergh had become a friend, describing him as a dedicated fan and someone who just loved Playboy. She had no idea that he developed this fatal obsession with her. And when recalling their interactions, Stacy stated that Lindbergh did in fact become upset with her during their second-to-last phone conversation. He called and apologized about two weeks later, but didn't elaborate on what he'd gotten so upset about. And the investigation into the whole incident dragged on for months and months. Well, it's really scary, you know, if she had planned on continuing to work for Playboy and, you know, possibly be Playmate of the Year. To speak out at all is so scary because they would cut ties with anybody over anything slightly negative. I remember after I left the mansion before I even decided to really speak out and tell the truth about my story. When people would ask me things about it, I would try to be diplomatic just because I felt like that was the right thing to do or I really wasn't ready to share everything I had been through. Stacy slowly started taking on her Playboy duties again. However, she was adamant that she was never working this Playboy 900 hotline ever again, which was the very medium that exposed her to this man who killed the love of her life. In fact, she started to speak publicly and talk to the higher-ups at Playboy about discontinuing the use of this 900 number out of concern for everyone else's safety. And she said in one media interview, quote, I've tried to persuade Playboy to do something with 900 number. There needs to be limits on time and basic guidelines on what can be said. And she also said that she still wanted to win Playmate of the Year and expressed that she hopes avoiding the 900 line wouldn't affect her chances of being picked as Playmate of the Year. So that's still something she's focused on, right? Like, yeah. And now she's thinking like, think about all she's lost. She lost her husband trying to make this dream come true. Yeah. So imagine the emotional agony she's in being like, well, I can't give up now. Like this whole thing is so messed up. And it's like she knows something's fucked up and wrong. And then she's like, but I'm still like trucking through. I have to. I just lost my husband because I was so dedicated to this. Right. So it was right around this time, probably a very cathartic time, that Stacey mustered the strength to drop yet another bombshell. You're not going to believe this, but it's something that happened on October 6th at the Playboy Mansion, three weeks before her husband was murdered. According to Stacy, three Playboy Mansion staff members had taken part in sexually assaulting her at the mansion, and she believed that Playboy was trying to just sweep the whole thing under the rug. She said she was drugged, raped, and sodomized by two mansion security guards and one of the mansion butlers. Their names were Raymond Turner... Rennie Bates, and Jerry Fowler. 
the staff that I knew when I was there were great. Although I did hear about affairs. I didn't hear about rapes that happened when I was there, but I did hear about affairs. Like allegedly one of Hef's girlfriends, like right before I moved in was like having an affair with a butler and things like that. You know, security people having affairs with people Hef was involved in. But also, you know, Stacy's story takes place in 1991 and it was so long before I was there. And I always like to say, you know, because people from different eras at Playboy will come out and say my experience is bullshit. Like the things I talk about, but just because it was different when they they were there. And you have to understand people are talking about like decades of difference. So, you know, just because I had a great experience with the staff doesn't mean that there might not have been bad apples there in the 90s. So Stacy's rape allegations made national news. And essentially, as soon as Stacy became vocal about what happened to her in regards to the sexual assault allegations and the events that led to her husband's murder, like these things happened. And then there's a point where she actually started talking about it publicly. Right. So within that time, that sort of set off a trigger response to a cascade of things happening. So first, Stacey was told she would not be made Playmate of the Year. Then Playboy decided to sever ties with Stacey and terminate her contract. Then Playboy took the position that the rapes Stacey were alleging happened were not rapes at all, but consensual sex. And finally, they refused to admit any responsibility for Jim Arthur's death, instead blaming Stacey for the tragedy for breaking the Playboy hotline rules. So ladies and gentlemen, this is why people are afraid to speak up, especially when you're going up against a powerhouse like Playboy. They just took everything from her and yanked the rug right from under her. Really, it's like, and this is in rapid succession of losing her husband and becoming a widowed single mother of three children. Like, I mean, it's literally the like the worst thing that you could ever imagine happening to you. And then probably like, because she met the killer on the 900 number, blaming herself. Like imagine yeah. the emotional burdens she's already carrying. And my heart just truly breaks for her. It would be really scary to speak up because, you know, when you're up there socially, you just see Hef is such a great person. And that's kind of the same page everybody's on. And everybody's kind of kissing ass and trying to get on the highest rung of the guest list and things like that. So it's scary because there is kind of this group think that everything's perfect at Playboy and it's a family and nothing can ever go wrong. And the second you speak up and say, no, something is wrong, then you're just the problem. So it can be very intimidating. I heard rumblings here and there, but I didn't even always hear the whole story because things would get squashed so quickly. Or sometimes people would try to come out with a book while I was there. And then, you know, I've heard stories later that like all their press got canceled and things like that. So stories kind of were kept under wraps back then. You know, I went into the situation thinking, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be like a sorority. You know, maybe there might be a bad apple here and there, but we're all probably good people. But I learned really quickly you can't trust anybody and it's so competitive and people are looking for anything you do wrong. They could go back and report to Hef and be like, oh, well, she did this or she said this and it could possibly get you kicked out. So, you know, so much for everybody at Playboy being this big, happy family, you know, Playboy's former rising star was now their enemy, and they went to work quickly to discredit her. One of the Playboy spokespeople told the press that Stacy and Jim were in an open marriage, which by all accounts is not true, and this was obviously in an effort to undermine her story. Then there were lies about Stacy and her husband wanting hush money following the rapes that ended up being circulated, and again, this is unfounded lies. They were doing and saying anything to silence Stacy and sway public opinion against her. And it's, again, like Alexa said, it's like as if she hasn't been through enough. Like everything is fucking going wrong. 
Stacy was outraged and she wasn't going to take all this lying down. So she took to the daytime talk show circuit to tell the real story. And one of the shows Stacy appeared on was Hard Copy. And in addition to Stacy's appearance, the show also interviewed two of the accused rapists as well. They also interviewed Playboy's head of security. And frankly, the way they talk about Stacy on live TV is fucking vile and makes my stomach turn. And I don't think this would be acceptable today. Oh my God. I, I want to <laughs> believe it wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past people. I know, but what happens here and all of you are about to hear are, it's especially shocking the way, and remember this woman is 23 years old and everyone else talking, they look like fucking old leathery bats. I don't know how old they are, but they're not as young as she is. And they're all teaming up on her and it's catastrophic, truly. The story that's rocking Hugh Hefter's Playboy empire. Stacey Arthur, the Miss January in line for the Playmate of the Year award, has brought instant and dramatic reaction from Playboy with her sensational rape accusations. In tonight's special report, details of the starkly different version given by the three accused men in the case. It all began in the jacuzzi, then it moved to the game room of the guest house. Stacy claims she was beaten and raped. The two men say the party was just continuing. I remember screaming, I remember saying no. A lot of the um, you know, typical things you go through of going into shock. Before the eyes of the nation, telling a harrowing story of alleged rape at the Playboy Mansion. And she knew two other very important people would know her story for the first time, her mother and father. The result, Casey finally broke down. My mom and dad who have heard this for the very first time on national television. I talked to them tonight and had to deal with the amount of pain that they're going through, the anger that my father's going through, and trying to keep this from my children. And for you to ask me to sit down and go through it step by step, I just think that's asking a lot. So you can see this video if you Google Stacy Arthur hard copy on YouTube. And you can just see for yourself, one of the accusers, his face is blurred. Yeah. So he's not showing who he is. But his name is available. I don't understand that. Right. And one of the butlers who's accused, he's showing his face and he looks like a I, a wizard. Like he's trying to be a wizard for his job. <laughs> and he looks like a fucking asshole. And like, it's not about looks, it's the energy. And it's so dismissive and disparaging and dehumanizing the things they're saying and the way they're saying it about her. I mean, these guys, they're going on TV knowing that they have the upper hand, that everybody's going to take them seriously and not her. Like, they know what they're doing and they have no fear in, you know, speaking whatever bullshit lies are going to come spewing out of their mouths. Like, they're just like, we got this. No big deal. Right. And they're like, we have Playboy behind us and you, Stacey, you've posed naked. So no one's going to give a shit whether you've been sexually assaulted. Oh, yeah. And that's a pervasive thing we've seen in the decades since. And it's just... A disgusting double standard that men truly like profit off of this, but then will not support the people in these magazines. You know what I mean? It's it's just total fucking garbage. Former security guard Raymond Turner and ex-butler Jerry Fowler admit having sex with Stacy that night, but they say it was consensual, not rape. It was just sort of a little party atmosphere, you know. It was fun. We were between us, we were laughing and giggling, and you know, it was fun. She comes up to me and she starts filling my chest, talking about I have a nice physique and well-defined chest that I have. And she starts undoing my shirt. And after a while, I just uh, continue to, un to, to undress myself at this time. And uh, we had intercourse. 
consensual intercourse, Stacy and I did. Stacy was not drugged, she was not drunk, she was coherent, and in my opinion, Stacy Arthur felt that she was having the time of her life. Stacy was happy, Stacy was content. And she got in the water, she was actually the first one to take off her clothes. And uh, so we, we just rubbed and we got into the water, and then uh, from there she, she initiated every bit of physical contact and sexual contact. She was the initiator. One of her favorite sayings is, I should have been a man. My sex drive is so high. She said to her, sex is like tennis. So why would Stacy make all this up? I believe this whole thing was a, was a setup. She's of that mentality that she'll do anything to keep her name in, in the press. She just craves to see her face, to make her feel like a celebrity. Are we so dumb and so stupid that we would rape and bludgeon a woman on the place where we work? And then in the police report it says they fled in unknown directions. Where are we going to run to? Where are we going to run to? You know, that's, that, it's insane to even think that intelligent people would buy into that. So obviously these guys are getting together and they're like, you know, what's our story going to be? And then they make up this whole bullshit. Like, it's like she like thinks we're so hot and she's touching my chest and saying blah, blah, blah about me. And like you, you dudes are living your own fucked up fantasy after you did such a disgusting, unforgivable thing to a woman. Why would Stacy want to have sex with you? Either of you. Like she's literally married. Yeah. She's a married mother who's like any, every man in the whole world wants her at this point. Yeah. No offense. She wants to suck up to Hef. She loves Hef. She loves Playboy. She's not going to have sex with a butler and a security guard at the mansion willingly. She's not going to ruin her reputation. You don't have any fucking pull anyways. It meant too much to her to ruin it by doing something like that. I truly believe that. Yeah. Playboy's director of security, Bill Raywald, says he conducted his own investigation of the case. Okay, so brace yourselves for what happens next, because now this even older man who's quote-unquote Playboy's head of security says even more fucking disgusting things and speaks in fact about what happened when clearly he wasn't there. The whole thing, remember, this is all in one little portion of TV where everyone was attacking Stacy. and try to imagine how you would feel. The investigation revealed that whatever occurred at the mansion was purely consensual by all parties concerned, and basically she seduced them. She was not uh, acting in the way that most of the playmates do there, and she made certain statements that might have led people to believe that she was coming on to someone. And the behavior of she and her husband immediately following the alleged rape. Their, their prime concern at the time was that it would not affect her candidacy for being Playmate of the Year. Um, he showed very little emotion. Uh, he was not the least bit upset. Uh, he was somewhat upset, but not as one normally would be uh, for an incident like this uh, regarding the individuals concerned. Uh, his primary concern was whether or not this would affect her becoming Playmate of the Year. So what Bill Rewald, head of security, just said is especially frustrating. So we're going to break some of this stuff down for you. So a couple of things you need to know about what happened on October 6th and 7th. So according to Stacy, she was sexually assaulted by three men on the night of the 6th. On the 7th, she told people that the assaults occurred, including Kim Hefner, Hugh Hefner's wife at the time. So on the 7th, Stacy also went to the clinic to report the rape and she got examined and she got a rape kit, etc. And the medical report, which details her injuries, corroborates her story. So that being said, after the rape, Stacy knew she would be 
having to make a choice. So if she can pretend this never happened, then maybe she still had a shot at making Playmate of the Year, something she'd been working towards since she was 13. But she likely knew that if she advocated for herself and demanded justice for what happened to her, Playboy would bury the story and blacklist her and she'd get nothing she wanted and she probably wouldn't have any career. So weirdly, based on the head of security's own statement, Stacey probably isn't lying. Because if she is, why on earth would she make this up knowing it would ruin her chances at becoming Playmate of the Year? You know, like he says, oh, they seemed oddly fixated on that. It's like that proves she wouldn't make it up. That proves it. Yeah. If it's so important to them, why would she create controversy in this this situation for herself? Also, like if if you watch this hard copy interview, like looks like she's having a fucking blast. Like she's so traumatized. She can like barely speak. She's defeated. Like that woman is broken. Like, oh yeah, I'm sure she all made it all up to have that moment. Like go fuck yourselves. Right. So despite all the national smear campaign that was waged against Stacy, she really held her own and continued to insist that she was telling the truth. Again, we can't believe that she had to do this, but you know, she's so badass though. We knew that probably long before, um, any charges were going to be brought against these people that they were going to get together and have a very, very long talk and get their stories together and make sure that everybody's stories coincided and that they were very much the same. They knew that I'd gone into the rape clinic. They knew that there was going to be evidence there that they had had sex. They knew that they really didn't have much choice other than to agree that they did have sex. So to them, to say that it was consensual sex was the only way for them to get out of this or to try to get out of it. So believe it or not, the entire thing gets even worse. An L.A. deputy prosecutor named Lauren Weiss spoke out about the investigation as well. And he claimed that Stacy told investigators that she was drugged and repeatedly screamed no as the men raped and sodomized her. But another butler, so annoying, at the Playboy Mansion, who was obviously probably friends with the dudes that were being accused, told investigators that he heard Stacy yelling, yes, yes, yes. Of course he fucking did. Sure. The prosecutor also said that blood tests revealed no trace of drugs in Stacy's system. But according to Stacy, that would be impossible because she'd been taking prescription pain medication for the past three years because of injuries from a car accident. So... The prosecutor straight up lied. And at this point, Stacy has absolutely nobody in her corner. And it's just this whole story is so unimaginable. And we just feel for her so much. I just imagine she must have felt so alone. She's going against this big company. She's going against, you know, she felt like she was a part of this world for a time. And now she's the outsider. And I just can't imagine how that felt. I mean, I've heard this from other people too, who've had different experiences with Playboy. Like when you're in it, you feel like you're part of the family and you can't imagine you wouldn't ever be supported if something bad happens to you, but then something bad does happen. And all of a sudden they want nothing to do with you. They wash their hands of you and you're on the outside and it's shocking. It's just crazy because it's kind of like, you know, you grow up with a certain understanding of it. So it's kind of, you've already been groomed to think it's this great thing. And it takes a lot to really crack that illusion. And for Stacy, unfortunately, it was the worst case scenario. So as awful as Stacy's experience was, it's not unique. And if someone spoke out against Playboy or any of the powerful players out there, that person would be villainized. And Holly saw this on varying levels when she was there, but she saw it from the perspective of 
everyone around her mitigating the seriousness of what was happening, making it seem like the people who were accusers were the evil, bad actors. Everybody's story is so different. And, you know, I lived there so long. And when I was there for seven years, all I ever saw were like the positive stories. If I would hear about a negative one, quote unquote negative one, when I was at the mansion, that person was always portrayed as like the bad apple and the bad seed. Like in the 80s, Hef had a girlfriend who like spoke out about him. And then he like ran a whole like multi-page article slamming her. Playboy and similar powerful institutions have the power to control public narratives, and it can devastate careers and ruin lives. And it continues to happen, especially to women. After Stacey went public with her allegations, the entire world turned on her, even in her small Ohio town. Right. We're not kidding. So we went into the newspaper archive. So listen to what the editor of the local paper had to print in the newspaper. It's the local paper to the town of Sydney, Ohio. I'm reading directly from this clipping. But what about something as little closer to home, such as the alleged rape of former Sydney resident Stacey Arthur by three men at the Playboy Mansion? There are some readers who feel very strongly against Stacey and resent it so much as her name appearing in the Sydney Daily News. Some have threatened to cancel their subscriptions if we run a single additional article <laughs> about her. Like, this is what's happening. They, it used to be Stacey Arthur Day in Sydney. Yeah. And like, after she came forward about what happened and about, hey, actually, I do think Playboy's liable for the murder of my husband. Her own town, like that's how powerful this rhetoric is. Her own town turned on her. I just can't imagine being a person and hearing somebody go through something so harrowing and being like, fuck you. Yeah. I'm going to be mean to her. Yeah. I hate you because you got raped. Like very cool. And your husband was killed and you're a single mom to three. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like the lack of compassion blows my mind, but I think people really felt so strongly about women were what women were doing or not doing at that time. And, and now too. (laughs) Yeah. And it's always the woman's fault, no matter what. Totally. We have another newspaper clipping, and this one talks about how Stacy received a death threat at one of her appearances. And the threat read, I will either put a shotgun to your head and blow your head off or cut your throat at your next public appearance. And we know you're making an appearance in Ohio this weekend. So now she's getting death threats again after her husband was murdered and she was raped by three men. Like, literally, could it get worse for this poor woman? No, and she doesn't fucking deserve any of this. So... Despite all the lies, the loss, and the emotional and physical trauma she'd been through, Stacy, this badass, had more fight left in her. She went on to file a $7 million lawsuit against the magazine and others, alleging she was raped and sodomized by three Playboy employees, and that inaction by the magazine led to the murder of her husband, claiming that Playboy's negligence led to both attacks. Stacy accused Playboy of failing to monitor 900 calls and protecting her and her family from dangerous callers. Stacy was seeking $20 million in compensatory damages, $50 million in punitive damages, and $12,293 to cover her husband's burial. In addition to the magazine, the former Playboy employees, Raymond Turner, Ronnie Bates, and Jerry Fowler, and the estate of Lindbergh were named in the suit. Playboy, she charged, failed to adequately hire, train, and supervise the men who were working at the mansion, and that they failed to maintain the safety of Playboy mansion guests. And she was also suing because Playboy defamed her in comments to the news and the media claiming she had consensual sex with these dickheads. 
So Playboy ultimately settled with Stacy for an undisclosed amount. And this hardly seems like a victory considering everything that had been taken away from her. No amount of money can replace anything that she had lost. No. And Stacy did continue to model and she pursued a country music career. And in subsequent interviews, reporters would ask her about Playboy's decision to cut ties with her. And she repeatedly said that if Playboy hadn't dropped her, she would have ended their relationship anyway. She said, I have no intentions of working for them. Even if they wanted me to, they betrayed me and I wouldn't have wanted to work there after everything that's happened. And there isn't really a ton of information about what Stacy's life after Playboy really looked like. We do know that she remained in Ohio, and it appears that she got married again in March of 1993 to a man named Michael Beatty. Stacy's daughter, Brittany, was the flower girl in the wedding, and the ring bearers were Danielle and Jimmy Jr., the two biological children of Stacy's late husband, Jim. So Stacy did keep all of the three children remaining in her care. And the article has no mention of Stacy's modeling career and describes her as a full-time student. Her new husband is described as an actor and a voiceover artist, and it appears that she then got married to a man named James Powell in June of 1994. And in the same article, Stacy was described as working as a medical assistant. So there's been some decades between what happened and now, right? And when Holly was gearing up to shoot her show, you know, on Discovery ID, The Playboy Murders, after learning about Stacy, she really hoped Stacy would be participating in the show and that she'd get a chance to meet her. It was so sad though, because I'm reading all this research about her and I'm like, well, I hope she's participating and I hope she's doing well and I want to meet her. And then to read that she passed away, I was so sad and disappointed. Stacy died at just 50 years old on April 5th of 2019, way too young. And her early death really makes you wonder about all the ways the stress, trauma, and sadness of her earlier ordeals could have weighed on her throughout her life. You know, it makes you wonder if she knew it all before she pursued Playboy, if she would have done it all again. And we asked a similar question to Holly. I wouldn't undo it because I love my life the way it is now. I feel like we all come into this lifetime and have to walk through some sort of fire and learn some sort of lesson. And I started off as like a young girl who thought like being famous and rich would be everything. And I was put through it and I learned what it really was. And I guess, you know, I believe we're all souls who like come down to earth to like learn certain things. And that was one of my major themes. So I wouldn't undo it, but I would never want to go and have to like relive it. At the time of her death, Stacy was going by Stacy Bechtel. She was married to a man named Todd, and according to social media of hers that's left behind, she ultimately became a counselor who was deeply devoted to her faith. And later in life, she had taken to blogging about how difficult life became, following all the tragedies and loss she experienced. In fact, we're going to leave you with some of her parting words from her blog. She said, I married way too young, became a mother, and then life happened. Divorce, tragedy, mental illness, addiction, and prison. By then I had become an outsider to most of society, tagged forever as a felon, labeled as an addict, and shoveled into the cookie cutter shape of the mentally ill. I no longer had a bright future ahead of me. I had ruined my life and had no hope of redemption. Then God happened. I get the chills just reading that. I can't believe this fucking story. And we all need to do better than this. And Stacy certainly deserved better than this.
Well, huge thank you to Holly for being our first degree for this episode. And don't forget to check out her new show, The Playboy Murders, premiering on January 23rd, airing on Mondays at 10, 9 central on ID and stream on Discovery+. Plus. And if you are listening out there and you have a story to tell, no story is too small. You can email us hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group, join our Patreon for bonus content and stick around tomorrow because we're going to have a brand new episode of Killing Time with Holly as our special guest right in your feed. Yes, right in the feed, us and Holly. It's going to be good stuff. So remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close, but not that close.